This is something like a smartphone, right? Like there was a lot of debate if India will ever adopt smartphones or not. But the cost of the, the telecom rates coming down, data rates coming down, and the smartphone prices both enable India to become the largest uh, market. So same thing is happening here, uh, both on the e-mobility as well as on the stationary sides. Welcome to Energy 360, the podcast from the Energy Security and Climate Change Program at CSIS. I'm your host, Lisa Highland. This week, I am pleased to welcome back to the show my colleague Neelama Jain with the CSIS Wadwani Chair in U.S.-India Studies. Neelama also leads our work on the U.S.-India Clean Energy Leadership Group, a project which brings together U.S. and Indian states who are leading the way to a clean energy transition. Neelama talks with two outstanding experts on the role that energy storage can play in helping India meet its clean energy targets. Sarb Kumar with the Energy Efficiency Services Limited, or EESL, and Raul Ralawakar with the India Energy Storage Alliance. This discussion helps understand the policy, regulatory, and economic challenges and opportunities facing both energy storage and the Indian electricity sector as a whole. I'll turn it over to Neelam now to get us started. Welcome to Energy 360. I'm Neelam Jain, Deputy Director and Senior Fellow with Badwani Chair at CSIS. And I'm joined by two special guests today who continue to make huge contributions to the energy transition in India. Our topic for discussion today is energy storage and its vital role in realizing uh, India's ambitious climate agenda for 2030. Uh, we have with us Saurabh Kumar, who leads and is the architect of Energy Efficiency Services Limited, popularly known as EESL, uh, a government-owned energy service company which has single-handedly scaled the deployment of low-carbon solutions in India. Our second guest, Dr. Rahul Walwalkar, is the founder and president of India Energy Storage Alliance, which is playing a vital role in shaping the energy storage and e-mobility market in the country. Rahul also chairs the Global Energy Storage Alliance. Welcome both, and very pleased to have you on our program. Uh, before we take a deep dive into the nuts and bolts of energy storage in India, I'm interested in getting a quick insight into your respective journeys in this field of work. Uh, Saurabh, we will start with you and then move to Rahul. Uh, can you translate ESL's impact into three headline numbers that are your favorite? Uh, thank you, Neelima. Thank you, CSIS, for inviting me. It's not, I mean, I mean three seem to be very obvious. And, and, and one, of course, is something that I spoke in a, a, a podcast earlier with CSIS, maybe a, a few years ago, is, of course, LED lighting and the way things are transformed in the lighting sector in this country. And many believe it also helped globally reduce the prices and availability of LED. So that's, that's number one. Next thing that we were able to, which come to my mind is, is the whole concept and delivery of decentralized energy solutions. And again, two things come to my mind immediately. One of course is with the decentralized solar work that we are doing in, in Maharashtra and a couple of other states and a decentralized gas-based energy uh, generation and, and uh, waste heat recovery, that's, that's the second. But something that, and I remember a, a very famous Indian filmmaker, he, he was asked the question, which is your most favorite movie that you have made, Raj Kapoor. And uh, he is one of the guys who was, who, was, who was churned out top hits all this while. And, and he named a movie called Mera Naam Drupal. And he said, this is a movie that I put my heart and soul into it, but 
it did not do very well in the box office. So it's like a child that you really nurtured, but could not do well, and therefore your heart reaches out to that. And to my mind, if you ask me, uh, my favorite child that way is electric mobility and energy storage. We started off with a very high uh, ambition of 10,000 cars and much, many, many more. We started off with an ambition that we will use uh, uh, batteries for storage, for, for uh, ancillary services, which are inside the battery, create different business models. But in the last three, three and a half years of the journey that at least I have gone through, this field still remains largely untapped. And therefore, while Ujala is acclaimed worldwide, the streetlight program, uh, program is acclaimed worldwide, and many, many others that we are, we are uh, doing, uh, it's going on. But I think some serious effort needs to be made as far as energy storage, EVs is concerned. And, and we, are, we are trying to figure out ways and means as to how we can, we can do things differently, what we, what we uh, were not able to do. Uh, don't repeat the mistake that we did maybe two years or three years ago. Uh, so that's something which is very high on the agenda. But yes, I, I feel that this is really the future, as you rightly said. This is something which is critical to not just India. It is it is world's ambition of becoming net zero. I mean, if you if you really want to be net zero, you cannot cannot ignore the electric mobility and storage in general. That's great, Saurabh. I'm super excited about what this podcast will unfold. So Rahul, you're, you're a leading voice of the industry and have been in this line of work for almost two decades. Uh, and over the years, what are the two or three watershed moments uh, in the market or regulatory landscape that has cemented your hope for a, for a more holistic energy storage ecosystem in India? So um, again, uh, I have to start with actually my journey, which starting point on energy storage, which started in uh, uh, 2004 uh, in US, because till that time I was actually an energy efficiency guy. So it's really nice that I'm here with Saurav with the head of the Energy Efficiency Services Limited. I started my career with Tata Infotech, working on uh, in-house energy management, design energy efficient lighting software, and went to actually US to do my master's in energy management with a plan to come back and develop a holistic uh, energy management online portal and just make it easy for everyone to adopt energy efficiency. But somewhere during that time, I ended up uh, uh, joining customized energy solutions to start demand response services and accidentally ended up meeting someone who said that can we look at energy storage technologies and electricity market because customized energy solutions uh, uh, has been at the forefront of understanding electricity deregulation and electric power research institute which is sort of the nodal r&d agency for all the us uh, electricity electric utility sector uh, they have been working almost for 30 years on different energy storage technologies for various utilities but suddenly with the deregulation, they were basically wondering like how this now business case and uh, business models work. So they approached us for a collaborative project, which I thought would be just one-off project because that time we were looking at like $5 million per megawatt uh, uh, kind of a, a price points for energy storage. And I was saying like with that type of a money, we can do a lot more on energy efficiency. So why should we work on energy storage? But we started and at end of that thing, we started realizing that, uh, that so this was a project done for uh, New York Energy State uh, Research and Development Agency uh, that ended up leading to further uh, support from US Department of Energy uh, through any ETL for expanding the scope to cover other electricity markets. And it came up that there are a lot of 
uh, applications like Saurabh mentioned, ancillary services or others, where actually energy storage technologies are very well poised and you can actually make a big difference. When I moved back to India in 2010, I was actually much more excited about India because in India, if you go back in 2010, 2012, we are talking about all this expansion of generation, uh, uh, building green corridor and all these investment. And I was thinking like in US, it is difficult. We need a lot of regulatory changes because US already has surplus capacity. But if in India, if we can integrate energy storage as part of this development of the grid, then the value proposition is much better. Uh, unfortunately, there was almost zero regulatory awareness about it. People were thinking only about pumped hydro or uh, thinking about lead acid batteries. Uh, so it was difficult for any one company to achieve that. So um, that's where India Energy Storage Alliance was formed. Uh, and uh, then one of the key things was uh, Dr. Satish Agniyotri, who was a secretary for MNRE. He actually called me and said that he thinks that the way renewable energy rollout is uh, anticipated in the coming decade, without energy storage, we cannot achieve. So can you come and help us? And that's where like that led to, this was back in 2014. So since then, last six years, I've worked very closely with various uh, ministries. So this is a good segue into uh, my next question, which is to both of you, because I would like to get both industry and uh, government perspective on this. Is energy storage truly integrated into uh, national energy policies? Is the government signaling a strong long-term support for energy storage in India? The policies that have been put out, how are they getting realized on the ground? Uh, we are at a relatively good step right now where uh, uh, many agencies, including MNRE, CERC, and CA have worked together where hybrid energy, hybrid uh, RE plus storage projects are now, there are norms already set up. It allows creation of new hybrid projects as well as going back to the existing RE projects and modifying it. Uh, similarly, CERC has come up with certain uh, draft uh, roadmap for energy storage, although it has not yet led to creation of the open access into ancillary services or so many of the other things where uh, it could open up the uh, adoption of energy storage. So on the implementation side, we have still lots of big fights which we need to uh, still win, but we are in a relatively good state and uh, knowing how these things have taken almost 20 years, even in US, right? I cannot complain. Again, obviously I wish that we could have moved faster, but uh, I understand that there is a, unless there are market players, unless there are products actually coming to it, people, people are seeing it, uh, these things will not uh, move fast enough. Uh, so uh, on the policy side, there are a lot of things which are still required. For example, right now under the national uh, energy policy, uh, MOP has actually invited specific comments on energy storage. I just did a presentation uh, earlier last week to MOP. Uh, but at the same time, uh, in fact, I was very pleasantly surprised that almost out of the nine industry associations who participated, uh, seven had specific recommendations on supporting energy storage on it. So it has now, time has come where it is no longer just uh, IESA trying to uh, pitch for energy storage. I think most of the people and even other technology and uh, clean energy associations have realized that for their own technologies to prosper and meet sort of these goals beyond 100 gigawatt, you need to have energy storage playing a key enabling role. So then the question really to you is uh, sort of what are the business models that you are, you know, you are testing the new applications that you're testing and is there a bulk procurement uh, in the pipeline? And I must compliment Rahul that he's far more diplomatic than I am because yeah, <laughs> in, in, in saying what he said, 
honestly, if you ask me, the decision making as far as battery storage is concerned is pathetic. There is uh, there is absolutely no vision around around what needs to be done on batteries, how we will promote. It's all fine to to provide performance-linked incentive for battery manufacturing, but the key factor is how do you drive demand. Now, if you ask anyone in Niti Aayog, and Rahul, correct me if I'm wrong, they feel EVs are the way to go on on creating demand for for domestic manufacturing. I completely disagree on that. And, and uh, I remember a conversation about two years ago with the then Secretary of Power. And, and, and the second thing which, which I'm slightly disappointed with is this national mission on, on battery storage and, and whatever it is called, has been in discussion for just too long and no, no action has been taken. Two years ago, I remember, my secretary asked me, what, how can we drive demand? And I said, look, with EVs, you can't drive demand. Yes, you can. But can you tell uh, Tesla, please uh, manufacture batteries in India? Can you ask Hyundai that, no, you don't get your battery system from, from LG in uh, Korea? No, you can't. It's, it's, it's something that is beyond you. And look at the data. We presented data to CRC, to Ministry of Power, that your, what is called the deviation settlement mechanisms, that is when your frequency goes beyond particular range that is specified by CERC. When your renewable penetration increased by from 7% to 9%, there was a threefold increase in, in, in the deviation from the frequency. CERC themselves said today, there is a need of more than 12 gigawatt of ancillary services, out of which four gigawatt is primary, which has to be batteries. But I'm just trying to put hard facts in front of everyone. Yeah, 2018 CRC came out with a draft ancillary services paper. Now, if you can't decide on ancillary services for the three, last three years, you are actually killing the battery storage even before it has begun. So I have a feeling that the policy making, the regulations are just too slow to respond. And, and we are not looking at what is happening. And, I, I suggested to the Secretary, yeah. Secretary of Power and Government of India two or maybe three years ago, I said, can you ask Kosoko, who is your, your, your central uh, regulator as far as the transmission is concerned, can they not come out with a tender of 1,000 megawatt hour of battery storage? We, we also gave them economically that if you put in four gigawatts of battery at uh, 2018 cost, which is nearly 400 dollars per uh, kilowatt hour uh, uh, with balance of plant and you socialize the cost across the entire power system uh, the revenue that you get that's only about 0.2 pesa per kilowatt hour but the problem is we are not taking the step that is under control now the second part that we that we have suggested and rahul very rightly points out and and uh, that is the only non-diplomatic part that i got from him is, is that people wait for the prices to fall. No, that's not, that's not how uh, things need to be done. In the convergence model, and, uh, and Neelima, you were part of the early state discussions on this. Now we have a very well robust uh, model where we have shown that in we can build rural infrastructure based on distributed solar energy and battery storage. Let me give you numbers. In Maharashtra, 
there are no uh, hardly any uh, public lighting in the in the villages we have, we have commissioned almost 200 megawatt of of uh, decentralized solar plants at various locations in rural maharashtra we have worked out economics and we are giving this power at 3 rupees per unit right levelized over 25 years we said we can build batteries we can install uh, street lights in rural areas the total overall cost including that of replacement of batteries once in 25 years and leds once in 25 years is 3 rupees 87 paisa but give me one single power purchase agreement now the fallacy is today the cost of supply that maharashtra has in rural areas is 7 rupees 48 paisa the tariff for street lights in rural areas is 5 rupees 50 paisa so msedcl which is a distribution company is making loss on every single unit that it is supplying for public lighting and this is one example that i am giving so the innovative model that we have you have a power purchase agreement for solar you please stack up other things that you want to add so instead of giving me upfront subsidy where state and central governments have a problem you amortize that subsidy over 25 years what is the advantage i am giving you power and and services that are needed at half the cost that you currently do and also we are making sure that it's it, it's being done at a at a at a very sustainable level and that's why we have created this this new uh, uh, spv convergence energy services limited so having said that i think one thing which i have which i must compliment the government uh, and particularly mnr 20 years in power ministry i have never seen a policy change that has happened as quickly as it did in in case of convergence i don't know if rahul followed that there's a kusum program that that uh, government had uh, had announced about 2 or 3 years ago solarization of agriculture farms that was going nowhere because of variety of issues largely because 30% capital subsidy on a solar farm was to be asked was to be given by the state government and 40% from the farmer of course these two never came so we presented this this innovative ppa based uh, stacking value uh, chains uh, thing and i remember i presented this to the honorable minister in the month of august to, uh, 2020 and in december 2020 they have amended the scheme and allowed these convergence kind of projects into this so we have a lot of hope that maybe things will start working but yes on the on the ancillary services multiple revenue streams i think a lot of action uh, from the policy and regulatory side needs to be undertaken very very quickly thanks for all those candid uh, remarks uh, saurabh really my next question is what is stopping the the government to make decisions you mentioned in the beginning that there is no decision making is it lack of capacity is it uh, waiting it out or is it failure to integrate with the sub national efforts well again i'll be very honest i think it is not the lack of intent it is not the, that people don't want to make this unfortunately the governance system itself and which has this pandemic has actually thrown it open needs to change where you need experts like rahul to to i'm not talking about him personally but people who know subjects to be involved in decision making 
there is a lot of gap between what the intent is and how it is uh, put on the ground. So I think I think that gap needs to uh, get closed, and therefore government either gets on boards uh, skill sets and capacities or outsource this to to people who understand and know how to how to how to deal with this because these are very new areas of work which not everyone is very capable and comfortable in. clearly and i think the the challenge of climate change will throw more uh, more niche areas and and will require um, more integration as well again uh, saroj ji thank you very much for being so candid uh, i didn't realize we can be so candid on this podcast but <laughs> anyway thank you for uh, being being so again i have always seen again and one of the reason why i am still like again every year i keep on threatening that i'll stop working on policies and i'll just focus on private sector but keep on continuing because there are good people right intention people who are working and they are trying to do so it feels that you need to support them uh, but at the same time the only if my grievance which is there is that somewhere there needs to be accountability and the challenge which has happened after the coal gate and 3g scam and other thing is many people are worried about taking decisions that they may get held accountable after 10 years for taking wrong decision unfortunately there is no culture or no whether for not taking decision someone will get held accountable and so roji you have been on the inside i don't know if there is some way to help bureaucrats in trying to avoid like what is the cost of inaction and how by taking action even if it looks costly for that one project in terms of big picture how it can open up the entire sector so rahul i mean i thought you will say all this thing up front but you did not and therefore i had to <laughs> but yes very valid points and 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 i must agree that if uh, the current honorable prime minister as the honorable chief minister of gujarat wouldn't have signed the pp at 17 rupees we wouldn't have seen a 2 rupee uh, power uh, solar here in india same thing dilma you will agree if you had not sold bulbs at for uh, which had 10 years warranty that we took in pondicherry for for 310 rupees we would have had a 38 rupee bulb ever so yes you are absolutely right uh, there is unfortunately in the government system there is no cost of in, of indecision but i hope uh, we are at least i am an optimist at some point in time it will be hopefully not too far away from now you know i think you've placed several important points on the table and i i do want to pick up some of them um despite the the policy indecisions or the time that it is taking to take concrete actions on the ground what is it that um, that esl could do with the help of industry with the likes of iesa to still spin out a market as it did uh, in the in the case of led bulbs of course led bulbs are not uh, not same as as an og storage but clearly there are lessons that can be picked up so uh, one point that i picked from uh, rahul's um, intervention was diesel gensets you know there is there is clearly at least 90 gigs of uh, diesel gensets lying in india as backup there is a potential of some procurement in that space and replacing and displacing that with uh, with with some type of energy storage sort of have you explored that uh, that area does it require any policy intervention or uh, or does it only require designing of a business model and integration with the industry thanks uh, for for the question yes you're right it's uh, 90 gigawatts of diesel gensets but remember these 
90 gigawatts are disaggregated places. It's very difficult to, to go to uh, maybe 250,000 housing societies or, or commercial buildings and, and try and replace their. So, yes, potentially it can be done, but not will not be my first choice. So what we are trying to do, and I, in any case, was thinking of reaching out to Rahul that while we don't have the big uh, aspect of ancillary services, which can actually be at the fulcrum of any energy storage uh, anywhere uh, in India. So with the New Delhi Municipal Corporation, and, and uh, you might know that we have, we have almost 80 odd charging stations in a very small area of New Delhi Municipal Corporation. So we've done just, we've just completed a study uh, through ADB uh, on, on the loading of their transformers. And, and uh, it's a small area. And each of these charging stations is about 150 kilowatt uh, right now, which is, which is an electrical charging station. So we have just prepared a feasibility report that we want to convert this, at least some of them, into battery storage-based charging stations. And therefore, kicking two or three revenue lines, one of course is charging, that I get maybe about two rupees per unit. Uh, just to tell you on current on the current cost of batteries that we have, if I amortize the battery over a 10-year period, I need a storage cost of 5 rupees 50 paisa per unit to make decent viable uh, returns on my investment. So one of course is, is, is uh, charging and I, and I earn about 1 rupee 70 paisa on every kilowatt hour that I, that I uh, use for charging. We have gotten two other value chains. One is something that we call capex deferral. Now, if you if you are in the distribution business, if your distribution transformer gets loaded up to 60, 70 percent, you have to necessarily plan for replacing or upgrading the distribution transformer. So, if you have a battery behind it, you can defer that that deferral to to some other uh, time. And the third aspect that we are looking at is a pure simple energy arbitrage that I can store uh, renewable energy during the day if I get it at 2 rupees 44 paisa. I store it in my battery and give it back with some arbitrage that I uh, add to the utility during the peak time. So if I apportion 5 rupees 50 paisa into these three revenue streams, suddenly it becomes a very diff different way of looking thing. Uh, 1 rupees 70 paisa I get from charging, 1 rupees 70 paisa multiplied by let's say five years or six years of deferral of capex can give me one rupee 70 paisa. If I add even three rupee power and add one rupee 70 paisa as my, as my arbitrage, then four rupee 70 paisa as a peak power is absolutely correct. So we, we have, dis I mean, what we have done is that if you look at the battery systems and Rahul of course is, is much more into it than I am, there are at least 10 or 15 services that we can run using a battery, but we have to, we have chosen two or three that are simple, that don't need any changes in policies and regulations. And we are trying to run with it with at least a pilot, once in one in NDMC area, and, the, and hopefully the next one, we want to do this in, in rural Maharashtra. So that's how we are planning to, to do this. ADB has been very kind in supporting this whole endeavor. And if we succeed in this, which I'm sure we will, then scaling up doesn't, is, is not something which is very difficult because problems are being faced by the distribution utilities. Uh, they are paying a lot of what is called the deviation settlement charges because of 
of, of, the, of the office. So that's the fourth element that we are trying to monetize, though not very easy uh, uh, per se because the data is not really available, but that's how we're trying to move forward. Rahul? No, so it's really nice to uh, uh, hear Saurabh explaining the uh, value stacking and how uh, it is part of the ESL business strategy because this going back actually, my PhD was one of the first PhDs looking at uh, uh, value stacking for energy storage through electricity markets. So uh, it's something which is very close to my heart and uh, it is there. Uh, but in fact, right now, I feel that we are entering a phase because of the technology evolution and the scale of manufacturing globally, what it is happening and how hopefully now with the PLI, even in India, the manufacturing will take off. I think we are getting to a stage where actually now the ball is in something very easy for ESL to do, where the way I see it is the only thing which is missing piece is financing. Because we are now getting, because there are still all the cases which Sauraji mentioned should be done and that can be done as well. Uh, but the way I see it is uh, uh, the diesel is becoming only the slightly problem area where five years back we were more bullish about diesel replacement or DG set minimization as a uh, main uh, one of the early applications is that the overall power availability is increasing, right? As compared to five years back, now India is grid surplus. So what is happening is we do not have regular power cuts, which earlier were. So many of the DG sets, which are earlier being operated 1500 or 2000 hours, they're now getting operated only maybe 500 or less hours. And that too is happening where there are more longer duration outages but infrequent outages. So storage, it becomes difficult to replace that because you need a bigger battery and you're utilizing it uh, uh, less. Uh, so your entire financing and the uh, cost of the project becomes difficult. The storage right now with especially the advanced storage technologies like lithium-ion batteries or other, you need to look at these as your workhorse. You need to find out, as Saurabh mentioned, how you can get maximum value from every unit of storage asset which you have deployed. And the beauty there right now is just like a rooftop solar plus storage. It has now got to a stage where it beats even without any value stacking the prices at which distribution companies trying to sell to commercial and industrial customers. So there is, there is no value stacking, no additional deferral allotment, no utility intervention, nothing is required. What we just need is we need to find out an entity uh, which can come to, which can identify the right customers who have the right load profiles where sufficient solar space and then go for solar plus storage and just sign the contracts with customer. Uh, there are obviously some risk related to the individual customer credit rating and other things, those will be required. But we think that we have now reached a stage where this is something like a smartphone, right? Like there was a lot of debate if India will ever adopt smartphones or not, or will India forever remain the Nokia feature phone market with uh, smartphones being at the fringe. But the cost of the, the telecom rates coming down, data rates coming down, and the smartphone prices both enable India to become the largest uh, market. So same thing is happening here, uh, both on the e-mobility as well as on the stationary side. So the way we, what IES is now we are doing it is we are working with government and still hoping for all the policy things to happen and all the decisions to be taken, but we are no longer waiting for that. As IESA, we have an initiative called ESS Meet where we put dollar dollar as SS. And what we are doing it is we have been going to various tier two, tier three cities, bringing together 50 to 70 customers together, explaining them how the value proposition is there and just directly connecting them to uh, some of the storage companies. 
the only thing which right now we have a list of more than 100 customers who have expressed interest on it the only challenge is becoming is for them instead of putting a dg set if they have to put in a solar plus storage thing the upfront capex is 5xxx they have a 5 to 7 year payback but for most of the somehow i think with the energy efficiency thing in india we have like trained all the facility managers to think about 3 year payback if it is a 3 year payback then it's a great retrofit otherwise you should wait so it is getting stuck in that thing but for any commercial financial uh, investor a 5 year 7 year payback where you have the technology life or warranties for 10 years it's a great deal and that technology warranty is the other part which is right now missing because in india we are trying to educate many of the companies who are bringing these solutions because right now many companies are just buying cells from china and putting together packs without realizing not every cell or every battery is same you can have different quality grade batteries there possibly they have earlier failure rates and other thing and those right now commercial warranties and other things are not yet there so if you see us tesla did this when in 2009 tesla introduced the first roadster they knew that people were worried about the battery and they were worried that the battery was costing almost 30000 for the new uh, roadster at that time but tesla had the conviction about the technology evolution and the usage of the vehicle they started selling warranties for $12000 right when people were buying the car and saying that even any time on day 2 or after 5 years you need a replacement battery you can come and pick up the we will replace the battery for free and they took out that risk out from the customers and that ended up uh, starting the whole tesla revolution so those type of things i think are required so now i feel uh, because i work very much in technology side i think technically we have reached a point where technology will keep on improving but we don't need to wait for it as saurabh mentioned in earlier thing price point already 2 years back was at a level where we should have been implementing some of this project so we don't need to wait another 2 years for further reduction when that cost reduction happens we can adopt technologies for more applications but right now we just need a very sharp focus on identifying customers convincing them and financing these projects and the last thing i would mention is that only other concern which as iesa we have where we are working with ul and some of the other players is safety because unfortunately with this culture of l1 if we miss out on this this could be a big disaster and a, a delay uh, uh, for uh, the entire sector we have seen it even in korea we have see, seen it in us in china uh, where obviously advanced energy storage technologies pack lot of energy in a very small package so it is to some extent uh, there are safety risk and if you don't pay attention to quality and ignore some of those things so we are even as iesa looking at possibly launching uh, education drive for firefighting uh, groups and others and also we need to make sure that the safety standards are enforced and that's something where again we are trying to right now figure out who could be the agency who can help on that uh, but uh, if we address that and we start financing projects i'm very confident we are at the cusp of big boom the way Uh, the LEDs uh, happened uh, three, four years back. Thanks, Rahul. You know, I want to pick up this very important point you've raised about how access to finance is is possibly becoming a barrier to scale. You know, which is a common uh, theme across a lot of uh, nascent upcoming technologies. And I want to sort of uh, synergize this with the point of demand, uh, generating demand that Saurabh um, brought up earlier in his earlier comments. I'm wondering if there is a more bottom-up approach to generating demand. Uh, so when I say bottom-up, I'm talking about the states. States is where the action happens. 
And I am not seeing as much effort in India. Possibly that's happening, but at least not at the federal level where there is more aggregation of demand at the state level or you know, a more consensus building uh, at the state level to, to bring together this high volume of energy storage. Uh, and clearly, uh, effective integration of efforts between the national and subnational uh, government will remain crucial for delivering a lot of agenda, climate change agenda that uh, that India has. And we at CSIS run this program wherein we bring together uh, U.S. and Indian states to discuss about pressing, uh, you know, priorities and and common issues. And we have these peer uh, exchanges. You know, you have a technocrat from the U.S. state talking to. Uh, an Indian bureaucrat about uh, about a learning curve for niche sectors that the both sides are pursuing. And what we have learned is that energy storage has been identified as the most common area of collaboration between the US and Indian states. Now, to that point and in that context, really my question to you, Rahul, and to Saurabh is what are the two or three low-hanging recommendations, policy interventions that you would recommend to uh, a state uh, for it to become, uh, you know, the next stop in the manufacturer's supply chain? Uh, This is a very important point. And again, I agree with you. I think many states are driving this. Uh, If you take example from US, clearly California, New York, uh, Hawaii have led the entire uh, uh, energy storage revolution in US. Uh, We work very closely with Clean Energy States Alliance in US on looking at things like uh, doing clean peak standards and creating awareness at the state level so that you can generate some local demand. Uh, In India, right now as the ISA, we have identified five to six key states where we are starting the state level uh, interaction, including states like Tamil Nadu, Karnataka, uh, AP Telangana, Maharashtra, and Gujarat. Uh, And we are also talking to a few additional states, including UP, Rajasthan, and Punjab. Uh, But these are the first five, six states are the key states where we are right now putting our limited resources uh, in working with state governments, because right now many of these states are also trying to attract these manufacturing investments. And there it can tie it with some kind of a local demand. And there we just need, again, uh, you started about the diesel thing, right? So if there are any clearly some state-owned entities, like right now, in fact, just an example of hospitals, right? We know how critical the power supply and reliability is for hospitals. And most of the hospitals right now have DG sets and uh, lead acid batteries as a backup. There is a huge possibility of program for doing it, of replacing those with something more efficient. I think ESL as well as BWE had done some study earlier where a lot of existing UPS systems or inverter systems, which are right now deployed uh, in majority of the cities at residential customers other level, those have right now inverters which are almost 50, 55% round trip efficiency. So anytime there is a power cut and it comes back, actually you have a huge loss. So there could be certain program launch for doing like a mass replacement similar to how like the old air conditioner replacement or uh, refrigerator replacement programs uh, can be done. But the other thing could be just you can create actually, and this is a concept which we tried to do it in, uh, in Maharashtra, maybe it was a little bit too early back in 2011. If you just look at some of the new townships or even greenfield projects, because anytime when you're going for change in existing, it requires more inertia. But if you can identify some of these key smart city or other flagship projects, 
and integrate energy storage as part of design from start actually you can save on the entire cost what you are spending on this so if you can get few of those so we have tried it with gandhinagar with the gift city earlier uh, we had tried with kdcz in pune but unfortunately both the places had some other uh, delays and those projects never took off but right now for many states if they are trying to attract such sort of a manufacturing zone because one of the biggest hurdle not just for energy storage manufacturing any other high end manufacturing right now in india is power quality most of the distribution companies are not able to provide that power quality so if we can start creating these manufacturing hubs which itself become sort of a, a smarter microgrids grid interactive microgrids with integrated storage those itself could end up creating like a maybe a dozen projects with few hundred megawatt hour of storage and that itself can uh, leverage the uh, demand uh, but there are lots of uh, such areas uh, the way i think is we need to focus on identifying economical projects where the business case makes sense and this i think i have discussed with saurav ji many times in past where uh, we need to make sure from start that we monitor and measure those projects and that they become a good case for others to replicate or people know that okay if uh, something even failed if there is xyz thing which is changed then it can be replicated next time as a success story so we need to focus on those aspects at state level and uh, right now i am focusing half of my time on actually private sector because i think again it would be great if we can do it at state and government but i think we have reached a time where we need to stop blaming government for this now this is ball is completely on the i think private sector side uh, there should not be anything even if government does not take or government officials do not take any decision we should be able to move the sector forward that's my belief right now that's an excellent note uh, rahul Uh, so sort of how can how do you think uh, esl could support the states in moving the needle on energy storage uh, i would slightly disagree with rahul ji as far as the next steps uh, on states or even private sector look yes of course private sector will do what needs to be done as long as it is commercially beneficial for them and and power quality issue that rahul ji raised and also the cost of diesel uh, as a backup drives people for other technologies but yes of course we can we can replace dg sets we can replace inverters with lithium ion and other that's all something which is vastly disaggregated and and it's really not not really a, a something that any entity can do on its own and i'll repeat neema bhai quickly that what should be done and can be done now whether it is esl doing it or anybody else that's that's irrelevant as far as i am concerned you need 4 gigawatts of of ancillary services what is stopping the regulators and policy makers to come out with bits that uk does virtually every every second year us does that you will you i, I want these many megawatt hours of of uh, storage at these places and i'll give you a capacity charge of x y z rupees per kilowatt hour per year so i think uh, while while we continue to blame that industry doesn't do this or private sector does i think we now if we are really serious about storage that is what uh, needs to be done and a lot of capacity building and and knowledge sharing at the policy level that is what is needed and and esl and i'm sure iesa would happily uh, work shoulder to shoulder with people like csis and others 
we need to very quickly make people understand why did California decide to do this maybe 15 years ago. I mean, there, there's some lesson to be learned there. Why, why host of countries are opening up their capacity markets. Thanks, Saurabh. And, and, and Rahul, for those rich and very candid uh, thoughts and discussions, we will, be, we will continue to watch your, your outstanding work. Uh, and we are looking forward to, to more discussions. And Saurabh, you've already cut out our work. So yes, you will, you will hear more uh, from us on this space. Thank you so much for, uh, for joining the Energy 360 today. Thank you, Rahul. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks to Saurabh, Raul, and Neelama for their insights. We encourage you to check out more of our work on energy at the state level in India. There's a link in our bio to the projects. You can find more episodes of Energy 360 wherever you listen to podcasts and at CSIS.org. As always, follow us on Twitter at CSIS Energy, and thanks for listening.